Check it out. Welcome everyone, my name is Lee. And I'm Izzy, and in this episode we visit the 2017 Australasian HIV, AIDS and Sexual Health Conferences held here in Canberra. This is the flagship conference of the Australasian Society for HIV, Viral Hepatitis and Sexual Health Medicine, also known as ASHAM. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone. Thousands of people came and went over the week, and we thought we'd take this opportunity to ask the question, given that people may consider the HIV and AIDS epidemic to be coming to an end, what is the continued relevance of a conference like ASHAM? We asked Bridget Hare, President of the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations, AFAO, her thoughts. Check it out. It's more relevant than ever. Not because HIV is out of control, but because real control, like moving towards the virtual elimination of HIV, is something that we could achieve if we can actually marshal the resources to do it. And so it's a really exciting time to see, um, you know, the, the sectors, the community sector, the research sector, the practitioners getting together, you know, to do the work that has to happen. And if we don't, like if we miss this moment, we're going to end up with, you know, an, ep- an epidemic that just goes on and on and on and on but now is the time that we can really achieve very very lasting change in terms of turning things around so I think it's more relevant than ever. Do you think that there are any um, particularly hot topics that have been brought up at this conference or or ones that we really need to keep in the forefront of our minds? I think PrEP is an incredibly hot topic and the relationship between PrEP and STIs is a really really hot topic. I think the fact that gay male sex cultures are changing is something that we need to understand more and that we need to have some respect about. Like we need to recognise that the level of control that gay men have exercised in their sexual lives for you know three decades has been extraordinary and has been sustained to an amazing extent. But that in the face of you know a pill that prevents HIV, you can't just turn around and say, oh yeah, but keep using condoms all the time. I think that is how you lose the respect of the community by giving them messages that don't make sense. We have to work with gay male communities to work out how they are going to control STIs when they're no longer using condoms at the same level that they were. And a lot of that has to come from the communities. And I think, I mean, which will be informed and helped by research and by clinicians, but you don't tell people what to do. People need to work it out. And I think that there is, there is the goodwill and there is the passion both for sustainable, happy, healthy communities and your desire for health that will fuel that and make that work if we can help foster it. You have a very optimistic and energetic view of the landscape of HIV. In your mind's eye, do you see the end of HIV? Do you see it in sight? Not absolutely. Not in the sense of there being no HIV, because I would hope that Australia is going to be, you know, an, op- an open enough country. And I, th- I think that the that the level of HIV control that we can achieve with the communities that we know and work with now in Australia is one thing. I think that if we are an open and decent and humanitarian country that we will continue to take in people who have different risk factors for HIV and who um, who are living with HIV and that we then need to deal with those realities as well. So I don't think it's going to completely disappear, but I hope that we can make it something that is you know, very much more manageable than it is today.
Check it out. Tim Krulich. And where are you from, Tim? I'm a health promotion officer from Living Positive Victoria. So given that the public perception may arguably be one of, uh, I think we've got this HIV thing contained, is uh, a conference like this still relevant? What are your feelings on that? Yeah, I think those sort of perceptions are formed by the belief that we we really know exactly um, what communities are affected. But, you know, a conference like this um, actually helps us to realise that the community and people who are affected are much more diverse and broader than what people might think. Uh, I just came out of um, a session about innovations in practice. A few of the papers were talking about how do we understand trans and gender diverse um, populations and how we capture data about those populations. And it's really revealing that there's actually more people at risk than what we might think um, there have been invisible communities in the data. So um, it's things like that that really make you th- realise that you know HIV and AIDS uh, affects all of us. Fantastic. Tim Krulich, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Lisa Tomney. I'm Manager of Clinical Services at the Western Australian AIDS Council. I mean, I, I, I'm from Western Australia and, and I certainly agree with the notion that we need to be um, promoting um, all of the issues that we talk about here at Ashen, we need to be promoting more broadly. Um, you know, I, I regularly hear people from broader communities sort of say, well, I don't hear about that anymore. And um, certainly this year for us in Western Australia, we are having a broader PLHIV uh, visibility um, campaign to open up that visibility for positive people and break down stigma and discrimination through that. So certainly I think there needs to be broader campaigns. I know that, you know, funding over the years, over the 30 years of of the epidemic have, you know, made us go population base, but I think we actually do need to be doing some broader broader promotional work. So what do you think of the hot topics uh, surrounding HIV at present? I was at a very impressive um, uh, session earlier around Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander uh, sexual health, and I think, you know, there's... As predicted, you know, there's some real concerns there, uh, particularly with outbreaks up in the um, in the northern regions uh, right across Australia. So definitely that. I think PrEP, you know, um, we're about to commence a trial in Western Australia, the trials that have been here in the East Coast. And I think there's been a great focus around trans and gender issues all around. So I actually met you, I didn't meet you, I saw you at the FAO members meeting earlier this year and you're doing some amazing things out in Western Australia and you're going great guns out there. Do you want to talk a little bit about the things that have made you feel good about fighting the good fight in WA? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, we, we've really kind of led the way in WA in regards to HIV and ageing. You know, 50% of people in Western Australia are aged 50 and over and 20% are 60 and over. So we commenced a pilot project uh, back in 2015 uh, where we worked with Brightwater, who are an aged care facility, uh, a quite a large one in WA. And um, we did training sessions with their staff and you know, it really highlighted the lack of education and how you you don't just educate once, you have to keep going and going. We had uh, people filling out pre-surveys saying that they only had 50% uh, confidence in working with a positive person in their aged care facility. At the end of that two hours, we had 100% of people saying that they were really confident to work with any person living with HIV. Well, I seem really lucky to have you, Lisa. It was lovely to meet you. Thank you, Lee. Check it out.
during lunchtime on the second day, I was lucky enough to be introduced to Nick Hollis from the Institute of Many and Chris Williams from Prepped for Change. So I asked them, what's the continued relevance of a conference like this? Certainly I think that there is maybe an overarching public opinion that HIV is not necessarily such a big prevalent issue. However, there are marginalised communities and populations that are significantly affected by HIV and that continues. What we are identifying as a result of the research that feeds into these conferences is who those particular priority populations are. So it is absolutely of vital importance that we continue that research work and are able to actually network and communicate that within these kind of conferences. Furthermore, while these conferences may have been born from a legacy of the HIV and AIDS epidemic, what we are understanding is now the intersectionality of where other sexual health factors come into play, so things like STIs. So as a result of that, I think these conferences will play a very important role moving forward in terms of what are the other health concerns that affect affect these communities. Yeah, and I think that, well, firstly, there are 26,000 people still living with HIV in Australia and while we may have virtually eliminated AIDS here in Australia, certainly haven't globally, we're talking about a a global crisis that takes one million lives a year more from AIDS related causes so certainly it's not going anywhere internationally but beyond that even if tomorrow we came up with a cure for HIV there are still 26,000 of us who are going to be living long-term with the stigmas and, and recovering from that. So we're talking really lo- like you know, uh, long-term, short-term and medium-term around a big thing. Why ASHAM is so exciting as well is because it brings together not just community organisers, not just health departments, not just clinicians, not just researchers, but all of us into one space. And from a grassroots perspective, having the opportunity to literally sit in the same room as people from the Ministry of Health who are running research centres, who are doctors and clinicians, and to have our voices heard is invaluable because we don't have that kind of access at a day-to-day level on the grassroots. Given what you just said about the relationships between big research centres, pharmaceutical companies and government organisations as well as non-for-profits, what are some of the barriers between those organisations and caused by those organisations around people accessing PrEP? in terms of a lot of the different organisations that are involved, it's making sure we each understand very clearly each other's objectives and roles and limitations. So it's making sure that we have strong communication between community sector and also then government to understand who's playing what role in this particular particular situation and what the boundaries of that are. Because ultimately we don't want a situation where community have the opinion or are trying to push government for something that is not necessarily government's role to provide. The biggest access barriers that we've got at the moment is we need PrEP. It's as simple as that. Just get me the PrEP somehow. We have some studies operating in some states and territories, but that is not nationally equitable. We have the Northern Territory being left behind significantly at the moment. And we have some studies that are uncapped in places such as New South Wales, and we have capped studies in in states like Victoria, where ultimately we're seeing they're all completely full. And at the moment, we have a higher amount of demand for PrEP than we have the ability to provide that to people. And that balance needs to shift. There needs to be a, a joint operation between all parties involved, whether that is state government, federal government, and community organisations are working together. I know a lot of people are importing their own PrEP from overseas. What is the impact of that on being able to run clinical trials? So there's a couple of different use cases as to why somebody might be personally importing PrEP overseas. In a very kind of uncommon situation, somebody might not be comfortable in participating in what they perceive to be a clinical study for privacy reasons, perhaps. So having that opportunity in that vehicle to be able to personally import is super important. Another kind of candidate is going to be somebody who is ineligible to participate in one of the studies. That could be a multitude of reasons. Either they are considered by their GP to not have a high enough risk profile, or they may, for example, be Medicare ineligible, meaning they do not have the same 
same benefits as other Australian residents or citizens. So as a result of that, they're then dependent on being able to personally import. I don't believe that is necessarily impacting the studies necessarily, but I don't know if we have enough strong evidence or data to know exactly what the volume of peoples are in each different jurisdiction that are doing that at the moment. That's very interesting, that comment you made, that clinicians may consider people to be of a low-risk profile, but the understanding they may have of their, themselves and their own sexual practices indicates that they want to be on PrEP and consider themselves to be of a high-risk profile in order to need to take PrEP. Nick, I'd like to ask you a bit more about the Institute for Many. Mm-hmm. What made you want to start an online community? Gosh, well, so I was diagnosed as a person living with HIV in October of 2012. A few weeks later, I was at a Genesis workshop in New South Wales, which is a, a workshop for newly diagnosed guys. And I met there a gentleman by the name of Jeff Lang. And we were both three weeks in. We were both pretty good with it. And we looked around at the room and there were other guys in that space who weren't so good with their diagnosis. That Some of them had taken two years to get to that workshop alone and in that time they'd stop having sex they'd stop they closed their life off in a way because of their HIV and, and we looked around and realized that we had it pretty good and if we were feeling that we had it pretty good that was a privilege and that having privilege means you've got to pay rent on that privilege and we asked where to from here and the answer at that time was well this is pretty much it and kind of just formed Tim and and off we went and it grew really quickly so much uh, faster than I thought it would and we're really honoured now to be the largest gathering space for PLHIV in Australia. Well I thank you both for your time today and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Check it out. Sue Wood, you're from the Bobby Goldsmith, Goldsmith Foundation, yes. Yeah, in Sydney. Yes. What do you think the relevance of a conference like this is today? It's still quite relevant. In the work that we do, we, we work with a lot of uh, clients who have been long-term HIV positive, so there's, we're dealing with a lot of comorbidity, so the mental health issues, the AOD issues, the housing issues, the f- you know food affordability issues, So and those things aren't sort of going away. Also, we've got a really large uh, lot of clients that are ageing with HIV, so that's sort of another area that we sort of need to look at and... It's a shame that that hasn't been looked at at the conference and also I think another thing at the conference could be looking at NDIS. Yes, of course, because ageing in terms of LGBTIQ people in general, but more specifically HIV positive people, there's a veritable tsunami of... Um, That's right. And, and where, where are they going to go? So, you know, they want to be working with, you know, like-minded peers, you know, that are understanding of their HIV status, their sexuality, um, and, you know, where can they go at this point in time? There's not really anywhere for them to be. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how prepared are we? With ageing, with HIV? Um, three. Seriously, three. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, only three at this point in time. We're talking about it. We're doing a lot of talking about it, but um, uh, what's happening and what sort of action is happening is, is yeah. So key points, key words to get us a little more prepared. What are the three words that come to mind? You got me on the spot now. Um, I think uh, we need to have an understanding of the ageing issues. Um, I think we need to uh, be more focused in that area. Um, And 
we need to have those continued conversations with the ageing population. What about more money? <laughs> we always need more money, yes. Yes. Well, you know, I think HIV sort of tends to be losing the funding and tending to move to mainstream. So, yes, we, it's, it's certainly still an issue. Yep. Sue Wood from the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Joel Wilson. Where are you from? I'm from Adelaide originally. I live in Canberra these days. So what brings you here to Asham? Um, I was asked to speak in the symposium surrounding queer men's sexual practices okay. and sexual health. So why Asham? Is this conference still relevant, you think? I think there are still transitions happening and with the advent of things like prep, um, the, the landscape is changing and I think that's why particularly the symposium that I was a part of is relevant because the sexual practices that queer men are engaging in is changing with the advent of prep and how do we navigate those things and what's actually happening on the ground, the community perspectives are really important. We've, we've got the research, we know that we're, we're having um, the biomedical advancements but we still need to keep that grounded in what's, what's happening within the community. Good answer. Particularly with online culture amongst queer men, um, there's kind of, there's, there's an ability to communicate these things before you've even engaged in the conversation and then you're looking at who's engaging in condomless sex um, and the effects that things like PrEP have had on, on those rights. And the pleasure potential of younger men has increased because of things like PrEP. You don't have the Grim Reaper in your wardrobe anymore. Yeah, I think the removal of kind of that fear aspect has had a huge impact. Um, and there's there's a lot uh, in the symposium it was touched on that um, the the understanding of what safe sex means and what condoms mean and the representation that those ha that condoms have as as a negative thing, in fact. And so having prep and being able to no longer use condoms is a really liberating experience. And there's no longer that fear that am I going to go and get tested next time and get a um, a diagnosis of of being HIV positive. Indeed. Thank you, Joel. Check it out. We bumped into Tim McCann from Hepatitis ACT, which is an organisation that we work closely with, and here's what he had to say. How relevant or how important do you think conferences like this are? Well, they're important for us, I suppose, and the, but the thing is there's less people here than before. People can't afford to be here. I think people are as committed as ever, but, yeah, it's a smaller number of people here, so that's interesting. And I think that's about funding and resourcing. Uh, and the strains that services are facing. I mean, I look at the way that we're promoting the issues uh, in the, <laughs> the things that have cut through, and it's a very mixed message. It's certainly, I mean, the conversation article that was authored by, I don't know, five or six people who were key people here, that was the main article I could find with any detail that included HIV. There were two others that were about syphilis and gonorrhea. Well, I didn't think they were especially connecting for me. But the one that mentioned HIV really showed almost as if it was inconsequential. The first chart was three different charts compared and it was labelled HIV, hepatitis C and syphilis, I think. HIV was second and the scale on the side was went up to seven out of 100,000. The scale on the side of the first chart was a hepatitis C and that scale went up to 200. So it was an interesting way of showing statistical information that was very sort of confounding. It made it, if you could read a chart, you saw, well, there's something strange going on here. And I just wonder about that 
that capacity, that messaging. For me, the messaging, you know, like I'm, I'm from ancient history, which is literally 30 years ago. So it seems unbelievably good news that we're seeing here, you know, and it's uh, the, the capacity to transition to the end of the AIDS crisis that what ACT UP was screaming for and seemed impossible, well, we're, we're almost there. So there's an amazing good news story, but there isn't a way to cut through with uh, funders or journalists in that sort of story. So that's it. That's the cut through though, isn't it? The cut through is we're at the end. Like why don't why aren't we living it? Why aren't we experiencing it? Why aren't people here to witness it? Like what a great thing what a great place to be. The answer is we can't afford it. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't a pushy weirdo. Thank you for that, Tim. Check it out. What do you say to those people who might say that there are other health issues that should really be overshadowing our focus on HIV? There are always other health issues. I think ideally that we should try to think about health reasonably holistically and not be just championing, championing only one issue or another or seeing them competitively. I think that there is a lot that many health sectors can learn from HIV, particularly the way that we see communities um, being absolutely integral to the way that we respond to it. And I think that many other disease areas can probably adopt some of the models that we use. And ultimately, in the same way that we have, you know, branched from HIV into other forms of sexual health and other bloodborne viruses, that that we can we, we can become a broader-based health community. And I think that's a, a positive thing. Bridget here. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Lee. Great to talk to you. Our thanks to everyone who took the time to talk to us at ASHAM 2017. You were all terrific. Until next time, I'm Izzy. And I'm Lee. Check it out. For more information visit our website at aidsaction.org.au. Follow us on Facebook or become an AIDS Action Council member. You know you want to. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out. Is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone.